everyone, I'm Link. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. This is a episode by episode review podcast of the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. We have soldiered through episode one, two. I think we're now getting into the real meat of episode or season one of Ted Lasso. We are on episode three, Ted Krim, independent. Mm-hmm. Spencer, what'd you think of the episode? I love this episode. This is a great episode. Trent Krim is a surprisingly, the independent, is a surprisingly great character. And he's a perfect, given what a jaded man that he is, he's a perfect character to deliver a bit of a treatise on Ted Lasso and what effect he has on others. So, wonderfully done. So I'm going to go ahead and um, debut a theory right now. Right off the jump. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not waiting, Spencer. I'm going to mm. get right into it. I have a theory about the, the character Ted Krim, independent, is... This uh, this particular character shows you the chops of the writing staff because mm. a lot of writing staffs can give you a character that you care about that you see all the time. But a writing staff that can give you a character that you care about that you see two or three times shows yeah. the real talent of the people doing this show. So I think I think it just shines through how talented the people are uh, writing and producing the show this episode. Fully agree. The work that they do with what essentially would amount to just bit or almost one-off characters is stellar. It makes them memorable, keeps them in your head, and Trent Krim is definitely one of the top top of the pack for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we are going to, as always, here on the Lasso Lowdown, do a recap. That's right, Spencer. Spencer, we'll do the recap. <laughs> then we will jump into our segments. Spencer, we have segments galore. We've got tea. We've got mm-hmm. biscuits with the boss. Mm-hmm. We've got, <laughs> Spencer shows me his cookies, we've got um, the Sports Center Top 10, we've got Ted's Lessons of the Week, and we've got Train Wreck of the Episode. So a lot of segments to get to before we do any of that, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, we have a few other pods that we want you to check out. Please check out Mangum Reads, like a digital book club. Spencer runs that one. I'm not on it. I will occasionally jump on every once in a while, though. They also do a podcast within a podcast. Wrap your mind around that little inception. That is pottering around it is a chapter by chapter reread of harry potter if you like harry potter or at all interested in it i highly recommend it it's very very good and then we also do mangum talks a general podcast where a lot of us just chat so moral of the story if you enjoy the podcast here the lasso lowdown if you like hearing me and spencer yab uh please go to mangumtalks.com we have a bunch of other podcasts we'd like you to check out we have a lot of fun doing them and we really appreciate you listening if you are enjoying the podcast please subscribe rate and review um, and please always feel free to go to mangotalks.com, click the upper right-hand corner, contact us, fill out the form, send it in. I will read it. I read every single comment. I promise you that is a, I'm contractually obligated to do so. I read every <laughs> single comment. And if you have suggestions for the show, theories about Ted Lasso, questions you'd like us to address on air, we will always do that. So please go to mangotalks.com, click contact us and let us know what you're thinking. All right, Spencer, housekeeping out of the way. I think it's time to jump in the recap. Before we do that, I want full disclosure to the audience today. You already know this, but I'm going to tell the audience I'm on vacation. I'm in your home state of Florida, Spencer. <laughs> on vacation doing the podcast. You know professional I'm doing the podcast? man. You know I'm doing the podcast on vacation? Tell me, Lee. Podcast professional. That's Absolutely. Right. Uh, so if my audio sounds a little weird, uh, if you hear some background noise or something, my apologies, but I am, uh, I'm doing this from a bedroom here in a, a rental in Florida. Uh, I do this for, for you, Spencer. I do this for the people, podcast professional. But anyway, that's it. I'm on vacation. With that disclosure, I think I'm ready to turn it over to you for the recap. Uh, should we discuss our little comfort foods before we get into that? Just so our audience can get the appropriate little tone and temperament as we get into what is an imminently comfort- comforting show. Absolutely. Let's do that. So, Biscuits with the Boss, that's you. What dessert do you have for us this week? 
I have two cookies. I have a sugar-coated almond pillow cookie and a white chocolate and macadamia nut cookie. Cookies. All right, question for you on cookies. Yes, sir. Um, are, with all cookies or any particular cookie, you can answer both ways, do you require milk? Are you a person that requires milk with cookies? Absolutely not. At, at no stage of my life has milk been a necessary element of enjoying the cookie experience. Yeah, so I'm I'm with you. I, I Probably the majority of cookies I've had in my life are sans milk. But I will tell you that uh, little milk at night with a cookie uh, does go a long ways for me. Uh, it, it will exponentially increase the experience. I guess that goes to me for our segment of what tea am I drinking this week to try to convince Ted Lasso and all you other Americans who don't like British tea <laughs> that tit- British tea is worth drinking. This week I have Kuzmi tea. So Kuzmi tea is a, a very popular brand here in America, uh, they do a really great green tea. They do a great, um, a, a lot of other like uh, green leaf teas. So like variations on green green teas. Uh, they're not cheap. I'm just gonna warn you that it's on the high side of, of teas that you can get in your local grocery store. But I think it's worth it. This week I'm doing Kuzmi tea, and appropriate with the show, we are set in London. I'm doing Earl Grey. It's the first Earl Grey of the season, Spencer. <laughs> Keeping things on theme. And this particular Earl Grey has something called bergamot in it. You know what bergamot is, Spencer? Not a clue. It's I a had no clue either. I've been drinking it in tea for probably years now. Uh, and until I started to uh, prep for this podcast, I didn't know what it was. It turns out it's a type of fruit. So it's a it's a hint mm. of citrus when you have bergamot. That's what that's what you get in there. Well, now that we have our comforting foods, now we've got the, set the perfect mood to continue with the episode. Are you ready for my recap? Let's do the recap. Take it away, Spencer. Well, starting with the wonderful mood I'm in, Rebecca begins this episode... I'd say the happiest we have ever seen her. I mean, she is glowing. She's looking fine. There's a smile going ear to ear on her face. Uh, Connection by Elastica is blaring over the radio at 6 a.m. when she wakes up. Things are looking great for her. What a song, too. The people doing the soundtrack of this show, man, they're spot on. That is a solid song. It is a great song. Uh, She heads into the office. Her mood is utterly unaffected by her commute. She arrives, she starts flipping through a pile of tabloids that apparently are just like pre-prepared for her, and her smile rapidly fades. As we realize that her mood was being driven by her assumption that certain key pictures of Ted and Keeley would be appearing in the sun and other tabloids that day. They are not there. Okay, so I covered this in, uh, sorry to jump in, but I I covered this in previous episodes that I feel like it's very unhealthy what she's doing with the tablets. And I just want a small point here. I just want to point out the fact that she has someone, probably Higgins, let's not lie, prepare all the tabloids and just have them for her ready. Like that's that's like a standing order shows just how far she spiraled into this thing. Like this is not healthy. That that is willfully masochistic right there that she's inflicting that upon herself. But it's how she goes. She asks Siri to call Shithead, which apparently is, you know, Higgins' coding in her phone. And we cut to him at breakfast with his four children. (laughs) Uh, Higgins got a big family. (laughs) Higgins is a big damn family in a medium-sized house. Uh, His ringtone for her, did you catch what it was? No, what was it? Bad to the Bone by George Thurgood and the Destroyers. Perfectly oh, appropriate. What a what a good catch. Be a potential sports center top ten. That was a good that was a good nugget, Spencer. I, I'm here for you. <laughs> he brazenly lies that he's either in or on his way to the office and ducks out as fast as he can. 
I love that what? move. Are you in the office? Sure am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, it took me, I, I broke a leg this morning. It took me a while to come up the stairs. You know. Um, while Rebecca's waiting for Higgins to commute into the office, Ted walks in for his for his morning breakfast with the uh, biscuits with the boss. He presents the biscuits. Have you noticed how Rebecca's reacting to these things now? It's it's the funniest thing. It is um, moth to a flame. Is that right? Is that the phrase? It is. That, that is the accurate phrase. They they come in and she just attacks them. Uh, there's oh, no. Yeah. She's dropped the pretense that these are things that she could take or leave, and it's like just give them to me right in the vein. It's become such a comfort food. She does that thing that kids do when they're desperate to have something, where she starts making the little grabby hand gestures when it was coming towards her. <laughs> give me, give me, please, sir. Please. He presents them, and we see Ted do what he's been doing almost every biscuit with the boss previously. He tries to get Rebecca to lower her guard a bit, be more comfortable with him. He tells jokes. He does his little Teddy stories. None of these land, though. None of them work. But you can just pick up these utterly undissuaded by this. He's going to keep trying constantly. Stories we get is him getting left in a clock tower in Milwaukee and comparing that to Big Ben. And how long did how did he, how did he know how long that his parents had left him behind at the clock tower? Lee, I was looking at the clock. Oh yeah, she solved that one really quick. Smart girl. She sees through riddles. And then he also tells a joke about branding meetings that you know you always feel so bad for the cows, but you got to do it otherwise they otherwise they get lost. Killing it, killing it, Ted. I found that very funny. I do. Like, legitimately. I'm not being sarcastic. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Do, she doesn't even flinch in response to it. But she writes off as being, hey, it's a Kansas joke. You're across the pond. Doesn't work. So, question for you. Do you think Rebecca even knew what he was talking about? Like, branding a cow? I, I, th I think it's a mix between two things. A, she had absolutely no clue. And B, even if she did, she's not going to give him the pleasure of reaction. <laughs> That's a very good point because I feel like Ted, does, like he throws a lot at Rebecca, right? Yeah. To see what sticks. He's still trying to figure her out, but he does throw some good jokes at her occasionally. I just don't think there's any way he's going to break her. Like she's just at this point, like I'm just, you are not going to make me laugh. No, it's a matter of pride. It's also a matter of defense too, because she's aiming to, you know, at least by tabloid perspective, murder this man. She, she has to maintain a certain degree of distance to morally cope with what she's willing to use this person for. 100%. We cut to Ted and Beard in their office, where Ted demonstrates his his, his uh, enjoyment of symbolic gestures by spending I don't know how much time drawing a plan on a board other than for the purpose of erasing it in front of Beard, who's already on the same page. But so that's I took that scene to mean that he was just drawing nonsense. It was a little carry from Homeland. It was just like junk. And then he's like, "See, this is the crap that we do now," which is basically pass, 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 pass. Give it to Jamie. He kicks. Yes. He, clear result, clear uh, summary of this is he does not approve of the current offensive plan that they inherited from his predecessor. This is an interesting scene because we previously commented that Ted did not seem to either understand how soccer worked or give a damn about what their actual plays were. This seems to suggest that either he's now gotten comfortable enough that he's getting into that, getting into that groove or now that he's fixed some of the foundational issues, now he's moving on to the more specific ones. Don't you feel like Ted was kind of listening to us? Because we were just complaining about his lack of X's and O's. Yeah. And then they start the episode with the X's and O's. And I would like to point out that, you know, it's very specific what he is objecting to here in the current team strategy, which is Jamie is the focal point of the offense and the sole right. focal point of the offense. He's Cleveland. He's LeBron in the Cleveland years. It's just like give the ball, right. to, LeBron, ball to LeBron, get the hell out of the way. 
it's not a team plan. It's a it's a single player driven strategy, which is just an anathema to Ted and how Ted works. That's the point I wanted to make is that it's just like it's so counter to how how Ted operates this thing of like one person is the star. You knew he was going to scrap it quick. Right. So him and Beard discuss the idea of new plans. We find out that Beard apparently has game. Didn't even go home last night. Kudos, Beard. Um, and <laughs> what? I started the podcast by telling you, episode one, Beard was my favorite character. Pound for pound, the funniest character. The little nuggets you get about Beard are the best. We get basically nothing from Beard all episode, but we get, didn't go home last night. Sorry, coach. A little tired. <laughs> We've got that, and later gone, we get also just randomly coming out, <laughs> Illinois State chess champion. The things in Beard's life that we put together over the course of the show are fascinating. Stay champ, baby. Absolutely. Uh, while they're discussing the idea of ideas, uh, the idea of ideas, the idea of plans for the, for the news team strategy, Nate overhears them, and Nate does the funniest physical gestures when he's trying to say something but doesn't feel comfortable doing it. He has a physical whole body stutter, almost like he's a guy that's caught in place by, by you know internet lag. Question for you: Have you ever ha- have you ever been Nate in a staff meeting? I exist as Nate in staff That's kind of what yes. I thought. That's why I brought it up. I didn't want to offend you, but that's why I brought it up. No, no, no. I, I run <laughs> on Nate kind of, you know, style of presenting myself. Um, Nate eventually is persuaded to come in and has a plan. Matter of fact, he may have a lot of plans. How many post-it notes do you think are hidden in that guy's trousers at any given moment? It looked to be four or five. I wanted to play a quick game with you. Let's spitball things of what might have been in Nate's other notes in his pocket. Uh, Nate, Nate seems like a guy after my own heart where he just constantly takes notes and just stuffs them in everything that even vaguely resembles a pocket. So it could be anything and everything from days in the past. Nate strikes me as a guy who might have a piece of paper with his phone number in his pocket on the off, ch- on the off chance a girl ever wants it. He's ready. Might need it. Might need it. He's ready. It's been there for eight been there for eight years but you never know gotta prepare for that moment it's like that condom in the wallet that it's been expired for like three years like that's that's the that's what nate's got here <laughs> we don't get to see nate's wallet over the course of this series very possible that condom is there don't know for sure uh but he kind of moves to present the strategy but immediately does the classic thing of you know shy antisocial people he starts poo-pooing it he starts selling down his own idea before he even presents it to which Ted delivers a quintessential Tedism of, I'm sorry, Nate, I have a real tricky time hearing folks that don't believe in themselves. <laughs> this I love get, that line. That makes me sad. That makes me sad. It, this, eventually, this gets you know, Nate to hand over the plan. They discuss it of where essentially it's the idea of using Jamie as a decoy. Of where you, you build the strategy around having Jamie go dead in the way that every team is now prepared for it because it's been your sole offensive strategy. And use it to get to other players so that they can actually score. This this is the general idea of it. They ask Nate whether they think it would work. Nate is finally able to say with a degree of confidence, yes. And I love Ted and Beard's reaction of where both immediately, without any prior cue between them, collapse as if he was just screaming at them, given their prior statement of they can't hear people that don't believe in themselves. Funny scene, and I love just how coordinated the two of them are that they're on such the same wavelength, they don't even have to you know, plan this. They immediately react in a way that is designed to make Nate feel good about himself. Yeah, very funny. I do want to point out, because I, I build myself as the sports guy of this podcast, I do want to point out the strategy here. So as you po- correctly pointed out, they want to use Jamie as a decoy, because Jamie's been the focal point of the offense thus far. The idea is that you you move, I guess, the, the defenders away, and then you've got some open lanes for some other folks. Uh, obviously, Jamie's not going to like this. You know, I would like to point out, smart move by Nate. 
I will say though, also rather obvious. And so yet again, my, my criticism of Ted or with the X's and O's kind of still exists a little bit. Like, I mean, he's working on it, but he's mm -hmm. still doing very basic stuff. I mean, this is like, okay, Shaq doesn't shoot free throws well, right? So don't keep the ball in his hands for <laughs> prolonged periods, right? It's very Avoid basic. whack a Shaq. It's right, but it's basic. Like, and that's kind of where I think we're at with, with Nate's uh, advice here. And that's why I think Ted uh, or Trent, Trent Grimm, independent, uh, later kind of cringes. Yeah, it, it, it's a strategy that will work purely just because of how bad their offense has been before and how single-player focused it has been. It's almost exploiting how much of a lack of strategy they had previously with something that is incredibly basic and obvious, but everyone's been comfortable with uh, responding to what was already there. Exactly, and it'll probably work at least once. Yeah, but this is, this is the example of strategy that will work once or twice and then it's select moments in the future, but you can't do it all the damn time. Right. So they... Agree to try it out. They do a little funny strutting walking dance thing together, which shows how much the three of them are bonding. And they start to head out. Uh, while they're doing so, Keely interrupts, though, because she needs to talk to Ted. So, a question for you on this scene. Did you notice that Keely, when she's kissing Jamie, is like all smiles? And when Jamie turns his head, she her face drops? Yeah, I wasn't sure what to make of that. I wasn't sure if it was because she saw Ted or it was because... The pretense is over. Right. Maybe. That's my thing. Is like it, I, I, I felt like there was like the the, the angle of you could you, you could watch that scene. It's like oh oh god, I, I needed to talk to Ted about this very important thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a hint of I'm just a little sick of Jamie's shit at this point. Like we, you know, given where ultimately their relationship goes, very possible, very possible indeed. For sure. Uh, she warns Ted that a friend of hers at the Sun has informed her that they've got pictures of the two of them of what they separately describe as her manager shag star player's girlfriend and he <laughs> offers manager innocently uh, feeds young woman whose relationship does not define her which is hilarious that's a very Ted thing to say I'd also like to point out the the paper that this is going to come out in the Sun we had a reporter uh -huh. we had a reporter from the Sun in the previous episode when Ted was doing a press conference and when he introduced himself and said he was from the Sun all of the other reporters groaned so that's what we think of that paper it it is viewed <laughs> it's a Murdoch product and it's viewed <laughs> as a bit of a it's bit, you, viewed as a bit of a trash paper across the pond Faux show um they proceed to duel on the subject of what the headlines would be uh, if this actually comes out. And Keely reveals that she was very much a woman after Ted's heart because, man, she can rhyme on a dime. She's got bars. Uh, yeah, she does. She offers Jamie's tart breaks tart's heart. Wonderful. And Lasso makes Paso and causes team fiasco. Both of those are great. They would sell well, and Ted agrees. I'm and cute as all... a button, and I can yep. rhyme my ass off. <laughs> God, it's... God, it's no wonder they want to destroy me. Man, it's a funny great. scene. It really just shows how well the two of them have already started to become friends. Because they are very, they've got a very similar mindset and very similar things that make them happy. And so they naturally gravitate towards each other. Quite, right question now, for you on Keeley. Mm -hmm. Does it, it seems to me that Keeley gets along with everyone but Jamie in this show. <laughs> Think about it. She gets along with everyone. She's friends with everyone but Jamie on the show. Yes, I'll agree with that. With Jamie, we only ever really see that they're physically attracted to each other. Yeah. I think it's the only thing she ever really offers ultimately about why they're in a relationship. He's the new hot young soccer guy, and she's always dated the new hot young soccer guy. Right. Yep. Uh, the two of them now gravitate together towards Rebecca's office. 
and we have a meeting between Rebecca Higgins, Ted, and Keeley, where they discuss the paparazzi pictures. Uh, they pretty quickly reveal, Keely pretty quickly reveals that she has means of hunting down who arranged this and, you know, personally murdering them, which immediately gets Rebecca to agree that she's going to help stop the article to avoid Keely looking into it and possibly having it be traced back to her. Right. They proceed to offer what can best be described as what are intended as compliments, but Rebecca and me, a little bit me agree are kind of weird. Uh, Ted offers that Basically, the compliment that Rebecca's kind of buff, that uh, Ted would love to see Rebecca and Michelle Obama arm wrestling, that he wouldn't be able to take his eyes off it, and Keely agrees that she's got action figure arms. These are compliments. Not the ones Rebecca's <laughs> used to receiving, necessarily, but they still qualify. I think she liked the first one best, right? What did I tell you? This woman right here, strong, confident, and powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the scene resolves. Higgins reveals again that he made no effort to provide plausible deniability for Rebecca, and so it's going to immediately blow back on her if this gets investigated to any degree. Fucking Higgins. Come on, Higgins. It's, I'm not a spy. Like, yeah, but I mean, come on. That's basic. This, yeah, this wouldn't have taken many steps. Um, we go to on we go to on the pitch training, and we see Nate's plan in its first trial run. And what would you say? To me, looked like it went pretty well. Worked pretty well. Absolutely. And noticeably, my favorite thing about it, the team loved it. The yeah. team responded to it. Mm-hmm. And Nate is almost, he's almost lost the ability to speak. He's just so emotional about this, that this plan actually got tried out and worked, and everyone seemed to be responding well to it. Except, well, one player, Jamie. We'll return to the scene where they see the second time this plan is run out to do a little more detail about his reaction. But even in this scene, Jamie doesn't seem as amused, particularly that everybody else looks happy about it. Yeah, and I will say, um, again, from like the sort of sports strategy angle, is that you could, as a coach, and I'm sure Ted knows this, you could approach Jamie and say, hey, look, this is only, like we just discussed, this is only going to work once or twice. We're going to be mm-hmm. feeding you the ball again very soon. Matter of fact, the only reason this is working is because of how good you are. He could use this to inflate his ego, but Ted doesn't want to inflate his ego any further. So he doesn't take that line of reasoning with Jamie, which I think is indicative of his overall strategy with that player. I, I very much agree with how he could have presented this differently, but he's he's going the long game with Jamie rather than just short mollifying him. He wants exactly. this per- he wants this player as a he wants this player as a person to improve not just get him to tolerate their current plan. And I think he knows if he uses this opportunity, if he placates him in the short term and fluffs his ego, then he, long term he's not going to buy into the overall team strategy. He's going to hurt strategy later on. No. Uh, Ted then proceeds to act like the most high school, junior college coach he ever possibly could be <laughs> by challenging his team to a race <laughs> and threatening those that don't beat him will have to run extra laps. My high school coaches did that back in the day. It brought back memories. We got to get better at transitioning from offense to defense. You got to start making your hellos goodbyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. He's got a way of speaking. It, the man believes in fundamentals, and he's willing to put in his own personal effort to make sure they happen. It makes sense. We get to the locker room, and we see one of the more depressing thing, repeated things we see in this episode. Uh, the, the team picks on Nate all to hell, particularly really Isaac bad. and Colin. And, really bad. and it's not like they're hiding it or anything. It's part of the group bonding is to pick on the kit man. And it's really douchey. It's really mean. Um, 
we we find out that apparently the only one of the people that was running was that that that, that um didn't beat Ted was Beard. Apparently Beard's not the most athletic, but is very proud of the fact that he was Illinois State chess champion. State champs, baby. Hey, did you know what um Kitman was before this episode? I, I had never heard the term before, but it makes a certain degree of sense just you know now knowing that it exists. Wait a second, what? I'm not. I'm still missing what. What does it mean? Like I mean. I've, I, I can know through context clues, but the term kit, man, it, it still confuses uh, me. Kit, kit can mean like your gear or your bag God, or okay. various there one of those lines. So he just gets every, yeah, like a locker room guy. I got you. Yep. Yeah. Which is his position very much. Um, Ted has gifts for all his players and invites them to go look at them. <laughs> did, did you write down what the books are and who got them? Yeah, Here. I did. I, I absolutely did. Uh, well, first I want to say that, you know, obviously you and I have been doing podcasts for a while. We've been friends much longer. We've talked about a monstrous amount of television in our lives together. And this was one of those moments where I thought, oh, God, I think Spencer's already locked into this show. But he is going to love <laughs> this particular detail about Ted. Yes. <laughs> That he's given, he's well read, which we established in like one of the very first scenes. Absolutely. And now, you know, that, that that's coming back up again and it's kind of come a full circle with this coaching strategy. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and a little teaser of our sports center top 10. This was going to be one of them, but I'll tell you the books that Ted gives out. Here's what I got. Mm-hmm. Sam gets Orson Scott card Ender's game. Absolutely. Jamie F Scott Fitzgerald, the beautiful and the damned. Mm-hmm. And Roy Got Madeline Langell, A Wrinkle mm-hmm. in Time. Which, as we discuss over the course of this episode, these are very targeted books for these particular people. Ted has a plan. Ted always has a plan. For and sure. he's intending these books to address certain emotional, practical, social issues that he sees these players are going, are, are, are going through and suggest directions on where that he ultimately needs or hopes that they will be. I have read one and a half of these, but I was not checked enough on Wikipedia to see that these are pretty appropriate for each of these players. One we're going to focus on over the course of this episode, though, is A Wrinkle in Time. And I'm not going to spoil what this one is about, because Trent Krim, the Independent, has the single best summary of it ever, which we'll yeah, get to be- uh, later on. I've read The Beautiful and the Damned, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and, you know, could not be more perfect for Jamie. Basically, like, a cautionary tale about what ego um, and hubris... And um, what's that? Vanity can do for you. Yeah. Ego, hubris, the problems of wealth, uh, dealing with issues of your past. It's quintessential F. Scott Fitzgerald. And good God, does that guy need, does Jamie need to read that kind of book? For sure. Um, Which he Jamie, won't do. No, in fact, he immediately just tosses it. In view of Ted, he tosses it. So th- some of these players are so poorly read. That when they got a book that was clearly a book just wrapped up, they started to shake it. They try to figure out what it was. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Isaac that was doing that. Yeah. Um, so Jamie tossed his book. Roy, we saw earlier that he was not happy about Nate getting bullied. Nope. Clearly, he's been annoyed about it for a while. It's probably been going on maybe even for years. But he's taking the opportunity to tell the new coach, because I give you, a, I have no doubts at all the prior coach gave two shits about it about what's happening, to clearly try to get Ted to stop the harassment. What is Ted's response to Roy coming in and doing that? Because it clearly catches Roy a bit off guard. So uh, I'll say this. I'm not sure that the old coach didn't give a shit about it. I my, my read on this was that Roy has been able to just go to the coach and get the coach to do some sort of like, 
you know, stop it for now. Some effort of hey guys, cut it out. He maybe. seems to he seems to think that's the line of reporting and that that's Ted's job. So it, it seems to me that maybe he said some positive reinforcement there before, but he goes into Ted, and he asks, "What are you going to do about it?" And Ted says, "Well." Nothing, basically. I know it's happening and nothing. And he says, I've learned two things in elementary school. One, if little Ronnie Fouch offers you a candy bar, you immediately say no and you get the hell out of there because it might be poop. Number two, absolute asshole. If a teacher tells you not to pick on someone, just makes it worse. And that is so fucking true. It is like spot on. Yeah, that that is something that schools still struggle with to a certain degree of where if you want to just feed a bully publicly confront him over his behavior with respect to another student because that at least outside of review is probably going to make things drastically worse yeah basically what ted is saying here is i could get them to stop bullying nate in front of me but they're going to continue to do it behind my back in to get them to actually stop this has to be an organic movement from the uh, among the players yeah you need, the, the, the children themselves need to police themselves at least in this regard for it to actually be successful right and Beard kind of calls, actually asks Ted what he's doing, and Ted pretty much openly admits that he is intentionally winding Roy up. He has a goal here. This is the one that he's investing in. This is the one that he thinks can have the most effect on the rest of the players in the team. And so he's targeting Roy a lot in this episode, and this is the most blatant start to it. If they're going to make an impact here, the first domino that needs to fall is in Roy's heart. <laughs> so poetic, Ted. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, Roy, one thing, I, one thing I like, and we see this much more clearly later on, Roy immediately knows that Ted's doing this and is pissed off about it because he knows it's effective. Yep. He knows it's going to work in spite of himself, in spite of every conscious effort in his part. It's going to start persuading action, and immediately it does, at least to a limited degree, of where he goes right away to confront Jamie in the, in the gym, who is just an abject douche. And hammers it home in this scene. Roy basically tells him, you're a bell end, a dick. Uh, your, right foot, your right foot's been kissed by God and the rest of the boys look up to you. And because they do, they watch you for your reaction. When you laugh or you don't even say anything when they bully, te- bully uh, Nate, they think you're approving of it or they know you're approving of it and they keep doing it. Stop. Stop it right now. Kind of stares down Jamie enough that Jamie immediately wilts and agrees. And Tolroy walks away, and Jamie it goes up to Isaac and Colin and basically tells them, yeah, it really, it really makes me laugh. Keep doing it. Douche move. Yeah, I'd also like to point out that he starts, like, telling, like, giving the rundown to Roy about what he lifts. Um, <laughs> these are not impressive numbers if you're a weightlifter. Wow. Like, if we were a professional athlete, this would be like, you know, somebody going, like, hey, look, I know you, I already know you want to know, Spencer. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you. 20-pound reps. 15 times like that's basically how, how absurd it is what he's telling because i mean it's it's low uh low weights and i think that just uh further reinforces uh the inflated sense of self that our boy jamie has yeah i'm willing to believe when when, when um, jamie tells him do you lift this much when roy says no that roy was actually meaning i lift far more than that yeah <laughs> old man strength absolutely um while uh yeah, we cut, we cut now to uh, Rebecca and Ted, uh, where we get a really funny line if we're t- uh, Rebecca tells him, okay, I spoke to the owner of the sun. You spoke to God? I fully believe that Ted's not 100% joking there. It's, it's pretty hard. eager. Pretty eager. You spoke pretty to God? 
And Rebecca reveals phase two of her plan. That she got an agreement from the owner of the son, Robert Murdoch, uh, that not going to run the photo, but, uh, and Ted is just over the moon on this, just starts yelling out MVP and dancing. MVP! MVP! But, in exchange, you'll agree to sit with one of the reputable establishments, the Independent, with their top journalist, Trent Krim. Independent. Uh, who is a tough dude. Ted knows Trent of the Independent very well already. He's been one of the ones that's grilled him the most during these, you know, set press interviews. For reference, he's the one that asked Ted, very bluntly, is this a fucking joke? Yeah. It's clearly, it's, it's also clear whenever Trent stands up and speaks, everybody else in the room goes silent. He clearly has a lot of respect from his surrounding journalists. For sure. Uh, uh, Ted's response, though, is kind of flippant. He said, hey, you know what you do with tough, you know what you do with tough cookies, don't you? You dip them in milk. And I just freaking realized now that's why you make the milk comment earlier. Sorry, I work slow. Yep, that's okay. Uh, I will say that um, they drive home that Trent Cramp Independent is an actual journalist compared to the other ones. Because if you notice just the small movements he makes, like he's always writing, he's with his pad. Mm-hmm. He seems to always be doing some level of work. The other guys are just kind of floating around. Oh, yeah. um, and just in how they act, it's it's pretty clear that Trent is uh, is the real journalist in the room. I, I also love what the actor does for the physicality of Trent, because it just emphasizes that. The man never really moves quickly. Every one of his movements is slow, precise, but has a certain degree of fluidness to it. It's like he's very much calculated and planned for everything he does, even about moving his body. So the actor does a great job in this role. Um, we... See, I mean, shortly thereafter, after Ted's going to flip comment, Trent walks up on the team at training. And he's looking fly, too. The man's got great hair that I used to have before I cut it recently. Um, he, he addresses Ted as Ted Lasso from America, which is the same thing Roy does whenever he talks to Ted. <laughs> Ted Lasso from America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trent, way to tell somebody, yeah. To which, to which Ted responds, Trent Krim from The Independent. Uh, and Ted looks legitimately happy to see him. And as we find out the course of the episode, that's just true. It seems like Ted actually just like really likes Trent or likes everyone, but Trent included. I think uh, he respects Trent. Yes, ab- absolutely. He does that. But I think he also just enjoys his company, too. Um, th- we see Nate's plan at work once again. It again goes great. We see much more clearly that Jamie's pissed off about how well it's going and how much everybody else seems to be enjoying it. Ted runs up to, you know, just go into the moment where the players are clearly so happy and ask Sam how he feels about it. To which Sam literally expresses that it makes him so happy he feels it in his penis. Thank you for that, Sam. We needed that level of detail. Do you think that was a bit of a translation error? You know, because he's obviously not an English first guy. I don't know, but it was hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, Ted addresses, uh, Ted and Jamie kind of address the idea that well, Ted tries to sell Jamie a little bit on this plan, and it doesn't really work. Jamie just immediately poo-poos it, immediately just throws it out that it's a bad idea and that everybody else thinks this is a joke. And Roy then just steps up and agrees that, yeah, it's the funniest damn thing I've ever seen since Step Brothers. Have you seen the movie Step Brothers before, Lay? Yeah, of course I have. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? I wouldn't rank it as the funniest movie of all time, but I will accept it's the funniest movie. It is a funny movie. Apparently to Roy, though, it is just the absolute funniest shit that's ever existed. Punk bed scene Until this when moment. it collapses? Pff, fucking hilarious. Absolutely. Uh, they part, Roy telling off Jamie once again, and Trent asks about the plan. And Ted and Beard immediately give Nate full credit. Trent's never heard of Nate before. 
But luckily Nate is there, about a hundred yards away, slowly, very slowly, kicking dog turds off the pitch. As <laughs> they reveal that he's the kit man for the team. Trent looks more than a little bit caught off guard, even asked them that a kit man is planning attack plans for a Premier League team. Is this what you're telling me? To which Ted Beard just nod and Beard expresses in what is apparently another one of those rare Beard compliments, Nate's a good kid. Ooh, means a lot coming from that guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Trent, this is one of the first of the moments where Trent is just almost like reduced at a loss for words once again on the idea of this is how this guy is running this team. This is in no frame of reference that I have. Pretty wild. We get back to the locker room where Colin and Isaac are upping the game again and absolutely now physically bullying Nate. It just hurts me to see this kind of shit. And apparently it hurts Roy too because he is pissed as all hell. If for no other reason, because he just told Jamie to stop this shit. Yep. And now he knows, I mean, he knows that Jamie did not tell him. Like, I mean, he knows the dynamic enough that there's no way that Jamie actually followed through with that. Yep. Even ask the two of them, didn't I just tell, I just told Jamie, didn't Jamie just tell you to stop doing this shit? And they look legitimately confused. Yep. Roy sends shirt, looking like wearing the hairy sweater that he always walks, walks around in, runs out to find Jamie. But Jamie's not there. Keely, on the other hand, is. And it's appreciative to see muscular Roy run out without a shirt on. They discuss the idea that the two of them have had a very mixed uh, history when it comes to prior partners. Did you make a note of what apparently Roy's last ex-girlfriend did? Yeah, she stole his watch uh, and his phone. Um, Doesn't matter to Roy. Who needs a watch and a phone? (laughs) And apparently sold it for drug money, too, which is just lovely. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, Keithley proceeds to have more than a little bit of fun at Roy's expense of where they, Roy says, you know, I, I don't, I don't even, I'm standing up for this guy, Nate, and I don't even know his last name. Keely offers a last name that Roy immediately corrects as a very obvious trap on Keely's part that Roy does not appreciate. Yeah. Very. So multiple things I want to point out here. One is that Roy continues to try to show everybody what a tough guy he is to the point yes. he says i don't even know his last name but he obviously knows his last name keely calls him out for it too i've made the point in previous episodes i think we can reinforce it right here keely is so good talking to these professional athletes like this is like jedi level stuff yeah. dealing with roy this is I, mean, I think ted deals with roy pretty well Keely deals with him on a whole nother level i mean she is just she's even ahead of him in the conversation i think it just shows how um how many of these conversations she's had, the dynamic she understands with professional athletes and how good she is at it. Yeah, I mean, Keely's about 30. I think we found out that in a prior episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to believe she spent a solid 12 years of her life in or about locker rooms, probably even longer, to the point that she's probably got more locker room experience and around other players than some of the players that are currently playing on this team. Yep. Uh, she proceeds to do everything in her goddamn power to push Roy's buttons to prove that she can. Uh, she succeeds, doesn't take much effort to piss off Roy, even she when does he's what? aware. She does hmm? what? I can't hear you. She does what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. What? 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 That, that's exactly what she does to Roy. It's fucking hilarious. And Roy just actually plays along for a while and then finally figures out what she's doing. Uh, we also found out that uh, if in the battle of skilled impressions between the two of them, where would you rank them, relatively speaking? I'm Roy Kent, and I get paid to play a game, and I'm mad all the time. <laughs> It's perfect. Even Roy has to concede it's perfect. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Meanwhile, Roy really needs to practice his Ted Lasso. His Ted Lasso is shit. He doesn't do a good American. 
No, no, no. Give him time. Give him time. He does some great American jokes. The accent needs some work. Um, one of the fun things that I love about the scene, too, and I referenced this previously, is Roy openly admitting that he knows exactly what Ted's doing. And he even says exactly what Ted's doing. He's just powerless to prevent it. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, we cut back to the coach's office, and Trent Krim is like a Roomba looking for dirt. A absolutely beautiful way of describing what Trent Krim is doing. Independent. Thank you. Uh, he asks about the party in the locker room, you know, that Jamie told him about an episode ago. Uh, and whether it sends the right message after they just suffered a really painful loss. Um, Ted expresses that he's never concerned himself much about wins or losses, to which Trent says out loud while I'm writing that one down. That's a quote I'll probably use. <laughs> yeah, that's, for sure. That's going to at least get a subheader in his article, You would, at least he expects at this point. Meanwhile, uh, Ted and Roy are going to a school, and they invite Trent along, who, jaded man that he is, assumes immediately that they purposefully planned this f so that he would see them catering to the community. Do you think this was scheduled with that purpose, or is it, as Ted says, purely a coincidence? I think it's purely a coincidence. I think it is, too. I think it's... Ted doesn't, Ted doesn't seem to strike me as some guy who connives that way. He seems to deal with these situations by just being truthful. He doesn't he doesn't do a lot of conniving. Given that he invites Trent out to an Indian food restaurant at the end of this episode when he's never had Indian food before and orders the spiciest food on the menu, Ted doesn't long-term plan when it comes to this. He's no. just letting Trent hang. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they... We now cut to Keely and Rebecca. Keely has gotten decidedly <laughs> more comfortable with Rebecca. Do you remember where we started? Just like I think it was an episode or two ago about how Keely felt about Rebecca. Yeah, fucking terrified of her. She she references it in this conversation. Yeah, I think she even said she's a very very tall, very strong, very scary woman or something like that. Now she is just walking in uninvited, throwing her shoes off and just getting cuddly on the couch. Brought your present. And what is this present? A cactus. Because it reminds her of Rebecca. It's strong and a bit prickly. <laughs> this is the start of what's going to be an absolutely lovely friendship between the two of them. Yes. Yes. It, it, it is a hilarious friendship. We start out with the assumption that the two of them are kind of like an opposites attract kind of thing. Because Rebecca clearly seems like she enjoys Keely and just smiles in spite, in spite of herself when she is around and talking with her. But as we find out more and more later on, no, no, no. This may be a lot closer to what Rebecca was before life did its number on her. So it's a bit of a counterintuitive relationship, really, because mm -hmm. you would think that Rebecca, being the owner of the team, billionaire, like can call Rupert Murdoch, like just on a whim, um, would be the person who would be empowered in this relationship. She has all the social power, right? But in reality, Rebecca doesn't seem to have a lot of friends. And she's not very good at these types of conversations. And Keely is. Keely's like a, like I just mentioned before, she's like a interpersonal Jedi. Like she knows how to deal with people um, really, really well. And so the power dynamic is actually, Keely is kind, like when they are actually just talking as two people, which actually happens mm -hmm. some. Mm -hmm. Keely's the, Rebecca's kind of the, like the sort of like, oh, I'm hanging out with the cool kid. Like, yeah. oh man, this is neat. I'm hanging out with somebody who's so neat. That's a, Brilliant read on the situation. It perfectly summarizes these just skill that Keely offers because she immediately goes into a topic that she knows Rebecca's going to respond to. She discusses the tabloids and what utter dicks they are. 
particularly to women. We get a lovely line from Rebecca, and a very true one too, that the press have a very different response of going after men versus going after women. Good God, is that true, particularly the tabloids. 100%. One of the examples that they offer is that the press would never, within a week of the divorce, fly a helicopter over your boat off, uh, I think it was Mallorca, and take a picture of you topless. Wouldn't be part of their routine for a guy, but apparently they would do it to her. Keely's response is hilarious, because <laughs> she's not mortified for her. She's not just, you know, there holding her hand suffering for her. She wants to see the picture, and she wants to see it now. She's so good. She's that is a she's like that's a very specific thing you just said. So it obviously happened to you, and you wouldn't have told me if you didn't want me to see the picture. And I want to see the picture, so let's see the picture. Let's she, see the picture. As you said, conversation Jedi. She worked through every aspect of that proof in a so heartbeat. Good. So good. She was a step ahead of me as the viewer. Oh yeah, and she delivers a perfect little pouty face finally to get the picture when Rebecca starts to resist for a second. Yep. She shows her the picture and. How would you summarize Keeley's reaction to the picture? The same way an honest middle school boy would have reacted. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfectly well said. Her immediate response is to just go gaga over quality tits. Yeah. Well, nice breast you have there. A- absolutely. Where'd you get them? <laughs> <laughs> My mom. That's a great response from Rebecca, though, too. And she seems like that kind of category of very much appreciatively shocked. She eventually walks out, leaving her shoes behind. Very much my style. Rebecca calls her back, brings the Socks. shoes. It's a category of shoes. <laughs> it's a foot covering. Uh, Keely eventually leaves with a smile, and Rebecca has probably the single most genuine smile we've ever seen on her face as Keely leaves the room. They do a she, lot of... They set the groundwork for a lot of these relationships. Like, you know, it's a short show, right? It's mm-hmm. twenty-five. It's a tight 25, 28 minutes, but they... They, they don't just give you, oh, these two are friends now. They give you a scene like this to build it. They do a lot yeah. of building um, uh, on these relationships. Really Absolutely. It, it makes it feel a lot more real as a result. Uh, we cut to the school. Richmond Primary, which apparently <laughs> just won the Football League Championship. Yay! Prin- principal is there celebrating with all the students. He introduces Ed Lasso. Ed Lasso. <laughs> Did they give him the wrong card? That one's not hard to get right. Pretty tough. Pretty tough that Ted gets uh, the name mispronounced there. And, no, no. But it doesn't even doesn't even correct. Doesn't even do it. Do, doesn't even correct it. Just walks up. The applause is scarcely polite. It's scarcely even existent. And one of the students has the gall to even just yell out wanker in front of the entire room of students. How old are these kids? Nine? Ten, yeah, if, I was thinking like third that. grade, third grade maybe, yeah. Yeah, kind of eight, nine, eight uh, era. They still have just zero respect for this man. Mm-hmm. However, Ted reads the room well and immediately goes, just wanted to congratulate y'all. Let's bring out somebody you actually care more about and brings out Roy. How would you compare the level of audience response to Roy walking out versus Ted? Oh, it's a heel versus a baby face in wrestling. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, Roy can't baby face, gets the big cheer. Uh, one thing that I love, too, is that Roy acts as if, you know, he's not used to public speaking or school. He even starts with that. But what he is good at, though, and we see this more, of course, the episode, he knows how to work a room of kids. Because he opens with that and immediately goes, how don't we just fuck off and go, you know, kick some balls outside? And the room erupts. They have a brief pause that they just turned into don't use a curse word and then erupt. Yeah, and I think Roy... Roy does do a lot of inadvertent cussing. This one might have been strategic because he, think, like, he knows the kids are going to enjoy that. 
And they're gonna, they know it's also him. It's part of his reputation. It's like him using his, almost his catchphrase just to curse in front of them. Yeah. And his immediate reaction to that, too, is the smug acceptance of I just did good of someone who's done this a lot before. They go outside. The kids are just, uh, still just having a blast just hanging out with him. Um, we get to realize that part of the reason that Roy goes to this school, apparently several times in the past, is that his niece, Phoebe, is there, who is adorable. His niece is adorable. She's great. She act, He acts as if he's very annoyed to be there, but still waves happily at her, and she clearly is just in utter adoration of her cool uncle. Loves Uncle Roy. Um, it's He's a clearly a good, if caustic, uncle. They practice doing headers. Everyone's having fun. Ted is also participating in the headers, too. And then... Encourage, it encourages uh, Roy to get involved with everybody else and decides to do it himself. This works out well for about eight seconds before Phoebe damn near breaks his friggin' nose. Yep. Straight drop kicks the ball right into his face. Roy is complimentary of her efforts. She's clearly getting better at that. Uh, Ted starts signing balls in literal blood. The principal is thankful and complimentary that they spent so much damn time there. Actually, he says that it's the longest anyone has ever stayed for that type of thing. And Trent Graham, independent, hears this. Very he important. does. He makes a note of it. Uh, meanwhile, though, as they're breaking up, Roy confronts Ted over his mind games. He reveals that he knows exactly what Ted's doing and asks him about why the hell would he give him this book and what the hell this book is about. Trent steps in with the perfect summary of this novel. Did you write it down? Otherwise, I got it. Uh, yeah, uh, he did. He said, well, first off, uh, you know, Roy just in his rant just goes, what even is a wrinkle in time? Yeah. Trent responds, lovely novel, story about a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership as she journeys through space. Roy, he, am I supposed to be the little girl? <laughs> I'd like you to be. It's so good. One of, my like favorite, one of my favorite moments from the series. I burst out laughing the first time I watched that. So funny. I, I love that Trent walks up to deliver this. He, he, it's already a demonstration, top of the reactions he's seen from other people previously, that he's starting to gravitate towards Ted and appreciate, at least in some respect, the, some of the things that Ted's doing. And he seems to like this. He seems to like that this was a plan. So I'd like to point out, when you're doing, when, when a journalist, I know a little bit about this, when a journalist is yeah. doing this type of um, piece, uh, basically like you, you, you shadow somebody, and then you kind of write about them from the perspective of a fly on the wall, you really are not supposed to interject yourself in the events. The events are supposed to play out as if you were not there. Absolutely. So the fact that he jumps in and engages Roy, to me, shows... Ted already has him. Yeah. He's got Ted, Graham Independent, before they even get to the Indian food restaurant. I, I think that's a very good read in the situation. He doesn't, well, Roy at least claims that Ted doesn't have him yet, though. He tells Ted off, says, I'm just counting down the days like everybody else in this community until you're gone, calls Trent a prick, and then barks at Phoebe before adorably walking away with her holding hands. Oh, he says, Phoebe, come here! And then she walks over, and then he just sticks his hand out to hold her hand. And oh, just, my, it's just a perfect, perfect Roy moment. If you just want to summarize Roy as a person, it's yes. that progress of a scene. <laughs> uh, Ted turns to Trent, Graham the Independent, and asks whether they'd like to do dinner. Let's have some food. You hungry? And continuing the love of the show returning to bit characters that they just seemingly one-off referenced previously... Ted decides to go to the Indian restaurant that apparently his driver from the airport, Ollie, had encouraged him to come to because it's owned by Ollie's in-laws and he works there as a waiter apparently in his off time. Uh, 
apparently Ted is the first person to ever take up Ollie's invitation in this regard. He introduces Trent and then congratulates them both because they both just met a really cool person. If you just want the most Ted line of all time, that one's got to be high in terms of things that Ted would say. More evidence that Ted has, Trent crammed independent in his back pocket, before all these events is that when they sit down, the the papa, I think it's papadum, the crackers mm. that you have at the Indian restaurant that come out as almost like an appetizer, mm. Trent, Trent karate chops them, says it's tradition, and says something along the lines of, um, what does he say, like, let the let the games begin or something yeah, like see, that. Yeah, because he's intending still to take notes and whatever else as he goes about this. And one thing of the things that shows, again, that uh, he's very much in Ted's camp, after Ted t- says the you just met a really cool person thing, Trent looks at him and just smiles. He actually liked that moment. He's starting to realize that, oh shit, this guy's not just an idiot, he's a genuine. Yep. Hmm, I may need to reassess this to a certain degree. Uh, Ted, as we find out, has never had Indian food before, nope. has no exposure or knowledge about it whatsoever, and makes what is, I suppose one might refer to as gutsy decision, to just take the chef's recommendation cooked family style. Now, I know you love Indian. Yes. I also know that you love hot, spicy food. For sure. Family style Indian, from my prior exposure would melt through a cast iron pot. Is that about your level of experience with it? You know, it really depends. Um, you know, I, I have a little bit more on this in the top 10, but it really depends on the type of restaurant, the type of family, and where in India they're from. If you can, If you can expect it being very hot food. I will say that I have been in Indian restaurants, and I have been in Southeast Asian restaurants. So, like, think of, like, Thai, Korean, um, even, mm-hmm. like, uh, some Chinese, but mostly, like, Thai where the waiter will ask you, um, do you want like American hot or do yeah. you want Thai hot? I've gotten this condescending ass question multiple times. Yes. And what Ted does here, Ted does it from a place of love for just humans. Like he just yes. wants to do the right thing. He wants to make Ali feel good and mm-hmm. he doesn't want to disappoint Ali in front of his family. This is why he barrels through and eats the hot food. In my personal history, it's been nothing but pride that has made me do it. Uh, pride in myself, pride in America. But I will tell you, yeah. any time in my life I've been offered American hot or plug-in country hot, I take B and I eat everything. Yes. <laughs> you have challenged my honor, sir. Absolutely. 100%. The field of yeah. battle has been set and I will answer. Don't you dare condescend. But yeah, I've eaten a lot of really, really... I've gotten in Ted's situation where you take a bite and you go, <sighs> uh-oh, I'm in trouble, but I'm committed. Yeah, and I love Trent, because Trent, you know, he's, he's from the UK. He's had, he's had prior exposure to Indian food, and he knows what a dangerous idea this is. What door Ted opened and what ability they may have to close it or not. Doesn't he say, like, when, when he says, yeah, just cook it like uh, I'm one of your family. And Trent said, Trent Graham has been, it says something like, um, you might have just made a bad mistake there or well, something you, like that. You, you, I wrote it down. Not the wisest of choices. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very Trent way to say that. Uh Ted admits he's never had Indian food before, to which Trent, like, visibly flinches. He's like, oh, dear God, this poor ignorant American's about to die. Gotta get they, some Indian restaurants in Kansas. What's going on? Apparently it wasn't part of his area. Uh, yeah. They bring the food out, and I didn't really recognize the dishes. I'm not best at identifying Indian dishes. But apparently whatever it is, is spice embodied. It is the avatar of the spice god brought down to Earth in terms of the heat these guys are confronting. Because Trent takes one bite and basically just goes... I don't think I can eat that. <laughs> it's just done. Meanwhile, it's gotta be it's gotta be a rubbed meat because that's the only thing that gets that hot in Indian food. It's gotta be like a like some skewer of like chicken that they have just 
doused. I don't know. I truly Gotta don't be. know. Other, other than, we only really see from the reactions. Trent just stops. He barely can even manage. He starts chugging water nonstop. Meanwhile, Ted starts leaking out of every available pore that he has available as he starts trying to process this thing. Giving no prior exposure to this level of hotness. This is me and you at a restaurant, by the way. I have, mm-hmm. I have stubbornly ordered the hottest thing. You have said that's not a wise choice. You have taken one bite, told me I can't eat this, and I have said, give it to me. We're eating all this crap. This, <laughs> this is our Nashville hot chicken moment. Yes, kind of thing. For sure. <laughs> uh, so while this is happening, Trent basically just starts spooning all of this food into Ted's plate because Ted, as you said, is going to make Ollie look good in his family. He would never dare be rude enough not to fully finish off his plate of food that he ordered, yep. uh, particularly when it's family shop. That's what that's the dangerous thing that Ted's wandered into now because now if he doesn't like it he's in, he's kind of insulting the family. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're struggling with this, Trent just gargling water trying to get some of the spices out. Advice for people at home: water don't work for shit and getting away a hot a hot feeling from your mouth. Um, Cold water it, will give you a slight reprieve, but it comes right back. Absolutely, it doesn't actually get rid of it. If anything, it can just spread it around more. Um, he asked. Ted, really the kind of key question that's been reverberating around in his mind. Why the hell are you here? If you love coaching, if you love doing this, why are you over here coaching a sport you know jack shit about? You enjoyed Kansas. Why'd you cross the pond? Yeah, and I will just say that Trent asked this question while he's struggling to talk. Yes. Capsaicin is just all in his mouth, just running wild, and he's struggling. And it reminded me, I think that they start to have a more, uh, weirdly enough, and I think it's a coincidence, right? Um, They start to have a more honest conversation because they're both struggling with this heat. And it reminds me of the YouTube series Hot Ones, Uh where Uh where the guy gives them hot food and they both eat it and they're both struggling. They have this shared experience of like, God, we're both trying to get through this hot food together. And mm-hmm. it breaks down the barriers and he's able to ask honest questions and get honest answers back. And I think to by happenstance, this happens to Trent Crimney Independent and Ted Lasso. The mistake they maybe made is that they actually started with the last dab rather than working their way up to it. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're working for time here. Trent, uh, Ted basically just says, you know, is this something that you really enjoy? Something you're really good at? You know, find out it's journalism. He's really good at this. For me, it's coaching. He loves it. Coaching is every reason that every reason for what why he does what he does. And he's not here for about the money. He's here because actually, Trent even calls him out. Basically, just saying that what you're doing is irresponsible. This team means something to these people. And Ted expresses that he knows that, but his objective here, his idea of success, is not about wins and losses. He's doubling down on that statement. He's here to help the players be their best selves on and off the field. And it's not easy, but neither is growing up with someone who doesn't believe in you. It's a very meaningful line. It's the embodiment of the kind of coach that Ted is. And it seems dripping with history. It seems loaded with his own personal life experience, which you find out a little bit more as time goes on there, too. Yep. Trent is very effectively silenced by this. This is this kind of honest passion that you can't contradict, you can't analyze it. It's just a profoundly well-held belief from a person coming for you in a way that's so honest you'd almost rarely see it in his line of work. Ted has a way of shifting gears. He still is the same Ted Lasso, but he starts to speak with a way where you're like, okay, I'm now dealing with a serious person even though there's all the Ted Lasso-isms around. And the way he does it is he actually, when he starts this thing, he says, and I'm gonna say this again, just so you don't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. Mm -hmm. For me, success is not about wins and losses. 
That is not a typical way of speaking for Ted. Mm-hmm. And it it just it shows that in this moment he's saying, "Look, you ask me a question, I'm gonna give you a very like, like well, I'm gonna shoo all of the the normal wacky crap I do. I'm gonna give you a mm-hmm. real answer here. Here it is. You, you, he never actually just like says, "Listen to me for a second, but it has that practical effect. It's the yeah. most ag- uh-huh. it's the most aggressive we see Ted of where he's basically just let's cut through it. Focus here a second because I'm gonna tell you something right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes people listen. It's it's one of the practical effects of like you know when a quiet man speaks everybody listens because it's so weird to have them talk. Same thing of like the guy that jokes around all the time. The moment that he's serious, everyone hones in because it's so different from the norm. I had a guy on my team one time at work do this, and he would send emails that had um, like silly words. So he would he would spell Monday M U N D E E, or like Monday. if you were just gonna do how are you doing, he would say. W-A-T-Z-Z-Z-U-P. And I, I came to him and I said, dude, you got to cut this out. This is a professional setting. And he said, no, I do it because whenever I break that character and I start to write normally, the people I'm dealing with know I'm serious and they, they, they buckle up and listen. And it was like actually this sort of like thing he thought through. And I like backed up and I was like, dude, I guess you got this under control. I guess I'll just shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I was thinking you didn't have a plan here. I've suddenly realized I've walked into your entire life strategy right now. I'm too far behind to second guess this. But it, it, it's a real world thing that I've seen yeah. out before. And it definitely works. Um, Trent moves to leave. And Ted expresses quite honestly that he's really enjoyed spending time with him today. To which Trent's legitimately shocked that he reads that Ted means it. You really mean that, don't you? Yeah. Like, that just nods, because he's probably not really capable of speaking anymore from the level of spice in his system. And uh, Trent leaves. Uh, while their conversation was happening previously, he kind of yelled out at Ollie that he just absolutely loves the food, and that, you know, tell your dad it's perfect. That is now proving a very much a mistake, because Ollie, his family legitimately flattered that Ted so much liked what they're producing, provides even more. <laughs> And apparently it's even more concentrated capsaicin. Yeah. So two things there. One is he says, yeah, tell him it's great. And then Ollie turns and goes, hey, dad, he says it's great. Yeah. Like in it, like this boyish, excited way. And then when he comes back with more food, I love the little nuggets of like what Britain thinks of America. It's like, we know how you Americans like to eat. <laughs> so here's some more Brought food. You extra. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, I, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, there's another American stereotype I wasn't like acutely aware of. Mm. Uh, it's one of those things too where legitimately, if he's never had that, that prior exposure to spice, this man could die. He could end up in the hospital from this, this, this what he's inflicting upon himself. But as you said, it's not pride. It's a legitimate desire to make other people feel better about themselves. And Ted's willing to carry that cross for the sake of our communal benefit. I'll tell you from experience. You do not die. <laughs> but, but you can get sick. <laughs> you are absolutely physically incapacitated for about six to eight hours. Uh, Ted apparently is capable of making it back home, as we see later. But... Um, we cut to uh, Roy reading to Phoebe in bed. He's reading A Wrinkle in Time. It's adorable. As he's getting through this book, you can just almost just see the, pr- the gears going in his head as he suddenly yeah. realizes about five pages in, oh shit, I'm the little girl. I really am the little girl. As he yells out just, fuck. I think it's, uh, I think it's what he yells out. You see the Phoebe? quote that made, him, that made him break? No, I didn't write, the, didn't the write down. The quote was, it has to be me. It can't be anyone else. This is the narrator uh, saying yeah. this in the book. And then Roy stops and goes, fuck. 
Uh, Phoebe calls him out on it. He tells her to mind her own business before returning and giving her a kiss on the head and wishing her a good night. Again, the many facets of Roy. <laughs> and then we get a wonderful wrap-up scene to this episode of where Rebecca's at home in her PJs. Higgins calls her because he has an advanced copy of the article entitled Wayward Ted. Now, that's the kind of title that Rebecca is, at least for a moment, very hopeful that this is going to be exactly what she wanted. Yeah, you don't really know. He's not tipping his hand with that, that title. No, it could be read bad. Wayward could mean lost, roaming about, not not on the right path kind of thing. So, you know, it, it could be could have, could have potential. We get an initial voiceover by Higgins, which, in a wonderful move by the production of this, transitions into Trent Krim's voice the moment Higgins says, Remember, this isn't me speaking, it's Trent. We immediately go into Trent actually saying it. Yeah, very good. The end, I won't say the entire damn thing, but the end result of it is it is remarkably complimentary. It's basically saying that this is this guy is the real deal. He actually means well. He's actually throwing himself in the, out into the community and into this role, despite all evidence that he's going to fail and fail horribly. I think he's going to fail, and I think Richmond's going to suffer for it, but I'm not going to root against him, and I'm not going to be happy when he does, because I want him to succeed in spite of myself Mm -hmm. while this is happening we get to see many of the successes that ted has brought about or at least a few of them um as a result of his various plans and motions of course this episode the main one uh well main one is roy confronting the bullies at the club when i say confront roy just walks into a club apparently he's old enough he's lost his night vision so he doesn't even know who he's directly confronting and just headbutts the shit out of Colin. Yep. Knocks him right down. Expresses that he doesn't actually know who he hit because he can't see so well at night anymore. But yells at them to leave Nate alone. Walks up on uh, Jamie, who's looking all kinds of fly, with beautiful Keely sitting next to him in their own private little booth. And all kinds of concern for his immediate like person. <laughs> his eyes are as <laughs> yeah, big as saucers yeah. here. <laughs> uh and Roy dresses him down in the most effective way he can. He just swigs the vodka that's sitting there on a table, comments, vanilla vodka, you're such a child. <laughs> Puts it down, and then respectfully says, Keely. And how would you describe Keely's reaction watching this? Um, so, again, they lay groundwork for characters in this they show. Do. They are very good at it. And Keely seems star-eyed here. Um, I, I took a couple things from this scene. One, well, obviously, you know, Roy was just wrecking shop, showing who's the boss, showing some leadership and saying, God damn it, this has to stop now. And I will come find you in your bed if I have to, to make this stop. Mm-hmm. Two is when he says such a child, I think there's an element of looking at Keely and saying, why don't you, why don't you date someone your own age? Like you are hanging out with children here. And it's building off what he'd said previously about is you have a shitty boyfriend. Why the hell are you with him? When they were comparing, you know, pri- prior partners. Yeah. I'm right there with you that Keely looks like she just saw the sun when it comes to this. And even the tone of her voice when she just says Roy, even Jamie immediately turns to her and said, what was that? I, I Even I heard what the tenor of that was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, right. Ted, meanwhile, Ted's walking home and we start to see what effect he's already started, the groundwork he's already started to lay with the community. One of the girls from the school and her mom comes up. They ask how bad, whether his nose is actually broken or not or how, how it's doing. Uh, he, he runs into the same three pub goers that we all see two that basically just tell him off but the middle one middle big black guy just says hey he 
He's having an effect on these people, even in spite of himself. And the other two turn on him like, hey, man, we, we talked about yeah, this. Yeah. What are you yeah. doing? You broke the plan. We got to <laughs> hate him. It's part of the routine. Um, as we go through, you know, Trent Krim's narration about what Ted's willing to suffer for, including eating a massive amount of spicy food, even though it will horrendously wreck his system. Yeah. So I've got the last quote, if you want, from Trent. Please, go on. Yeah. Um, so this is the, the last part of the uh, of the piece, and it's in Trent's voice, Trent Krim Independent. Mm-hmm. Whether that means allowing followers to become leaders or in a show of respect, eating food so spicy, it's sure to wreck massive havoc on his intestinal system. And though I believe Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, more on that later, I won't gloat when it happens because I can't help but root for him. It's a great quote. It's a great wrap of the episode. And it's utterly deflating to Rebecca. She started at the best moment we've ever seen her. She ends back where she's back where she was in the prior episode. Another one of her plans thwarted by the charismatic power of Ted Lasso. She throws out a Roy-esque fuck and just falls out of frame as the episode ends. End of episode. Great recap, Spencer. Here for All right. I like it. Um, okay, let's do some concluding thoughts before we jump into segments if, you, if you're, you're mm-hmm. cool with it. Because um, I'd like to say best of the three episodes we've seen so far. It's only getting better as we go. But this may be one of my favorite, my top three of the entire season. I agree. You're not going to hear me say like, oh, this is so, so much better than all the rest of the episodes. Like that much more. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, t- I'm not going to do this every episode. So this actually is sort of a special thing. <laughs> this episode really elevated the show. I mean, if, between the character interactions, laying mm-hmm. the groundwork for where it's going with certain interpersonal relationships in the show to just the cinematography and the production value of the voiceovers and the montages at the end um, just an all-around great episode. And it was the, one of the first episodes where I thought, oh, this show's really going to start winning awards and stuff. Like, this is mm-hmm. going to be like, like they're going to win Emmys and stuff. And then I, of course, looked it up and they'd already won Emmys because I watched it late. But, um, I, you know, I did thought like, oh, wow, this is, this is, going, this is not just going to catch people's attention. It's going to win a lot of awards because they're, it's not just something that makes you feel good. It's also being done at a very, very high level. Yeah, my, my kind of thought process at the end of each of these episodes previously was first episode, oh, this show has potential. Second episode, oh, this show's really good. Third episode, oh, this show is profound. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it, it reaches new heights in this episode. I thought it was extremely, extremely good. I give well, it an A. Give it an A. Well, it seems like we will not in any way struggle then for what our top 10 plays of the week will be. Oh, let's jump into our segments. We will start with Sports Center Top 10. We will go to Train Wreck of the Episode, and I will conclude with Ted's Life Lessons of the Episode. Let's go to our Sports Center Top 10. You want me to start? Please. Okay. Um, I will do. Ted mentions that he, when in one of the opening scenes, I think it's Biscuits with the Boss, first one, uh, where he sits down and he explains that he had a great Sunday, just a phenomenal Sunday. He went to see Big Ben, and that was the biggest clock tower he had seen since he went to Allen Brady Clock Tower. In Milwaukee. Allen Brady Clock Tower is a four-sided clock that sits on the top of Allen Brady Building, which is now known as Rockwell Automation. On the south side of Milwaukee, local architect Fitz Scott designed the tower. The clockworks were built by Allen Bradley which specializes in electrical controls while the clock faces were created by super sky products in McQueen from 1962 until 2010, when it was surpassed by one in Saudi Arabia, the Allen Bradley clock tower was the largest four sided clock in the world. 
so it's I actually no- re- it's actually really really big. So when Ted was saying, I thought I knew big clocks, like yeah, it's it's kind of funny because like he he does he knows like the tallest one in the world. <laughs> I, I knew none of that. That's an interesting bit of trivia right there. There you go, Alan Brady Clock Tower. Uh, one for me, the charismatic power of Keeley. We've seen it before. We'll see it again, but it still continues to amaze me. The ability that she has to influence those around there and draw them out of their shells and really work off what they work off what they are and what they need is incredible. As you noted, she is the conversation Jedi, and she shows it many times with many people over the course of this episode. Yeah, very good one. Uh, I mean, Keely's just ah, uh, yes, perfect. Uh, mine will be the Indian food that Ted and Trent were eating is absolutely 100% Northern Indian food. There's no way this is Southern Indian food. Hmm. Northern Indian food, as it's being represented here, is really a cross with like old Persian food. Uh, Southern Indian food, a lot more fish, um, like closer to what you would think of as maybe Mediterranean food. A lot of fruit, um, because a lot of fruit grows in that that more tropical climate in the south, uh, and really not all that spicy. Northern Indian food is spicy because in Northern India, it's hot. And traditionally, spicy food helped to preserve the food for longer. So... Some from Uncle Lee out here to all the kids, just letting you know. If you're eating cuisine that's from another country, you'll generally notice a correlation between the climate of the country. If it's a hotter climate, the spicier the food. It helps prevent spoilage. And also, peppers grow in the heat. If you ever tried a summer garden, you know that your tomatoes will die on the vine with sun. Your peppers will continue to grow. So there you go. Uh, Sports Center Top 10, little trivia to the kids out here from Uncle Lee. The knowledge you were dropping this episode. Uh, another one from me. The long-term successful planning of Ted in terms of setting other people's character arcs. We get to see a lot of it in this episode. It's, he's more blatant about it this episode in terms of the various irons he's got in the fire. But we see just already the effect that he has on those around him in terms of he knows what people need. He knows what will improve them. He knows what will help, help them improve people around them. And he's content to just kind of push them in motion and let them work in a way that will have difficulties in the moment, but long-term, much greater success, both for the individual and the world around them. He executes it beautifully. Roy is only one example of this that I adore that he's aware of it, but powerless to stop it from being in motion once the dominoes start to fall. And it's just a joy to see it this episode. Okay. Uh, Do you have any more? Because otherwise I'll wrap up with number 10. Give me one. Okay. Um, I'll wrap up here. Number 10. Uh, you called it out earlier. The opening sequence, the song was Elastica, um, a band called Alaska called Connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt Great like song. this was a very apropos song for what we were seeing. What we were seeing is Rebecca up in the morning, kicking ass, badass, having a great time. How old would you say Rebecca looks in this show? <sighs> hard to say with her she's a very attractive woman i was gonna go with mid late 40s maybe 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 pushing 50 you find this lady pretty attractive that's like the fourth time you said this on the show you're, you're like into she, rebecca huh she's an attractive woman i don't think i'm going I, to that much on a limb to saying that no, no i think you should own it i just i'm just pointing out i've heard it a few times i, I <laughs> own like it. it all right yeah it's it's totally okay. cool. i ask i would say probably 46 to 49 that would be my guess okay Um, She's certainly younger than the the man that she was with, but um, not as young as some of the people that he's with. Um, This song was released in 1994. I bring that up to say they might have been making a connection there to like 
what she would actually listen to to get pumped up based on what was rolling, what was like in the zeitgeist when she was in her maybe early 20s. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, early 20s, late tweens, that would work perfectly for that timing. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's another example of song of where I've heard the song for many a year. I had never at any point knew a single word of what those people were saying in that song until I looked it up for this episode. It's so funny you say that. I'd never heard the song before to my knowledge. I wanted to look it up, obviously, because, you know, Sports Center Top 10, professional podcaster, covered that earlier. Mm-hmm. I And typically when a song plays on one of these shows and I'm trying to look it up for a little nugget for our podcast, I just start Googling the lyrics. I just start typing in the lyrics. <laughs> That's hard I, with this song. I, it took me like four or five like Google searches to figure it out because I couldn't figure out what the hell the words were. No, it's delightfully incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to explain it. Okay, that wraps up our Sports Center Top 10. Do we want to talk train wreck of the week? Do you have any uh, nominees? I've got one based on something we said earlier in the episode. The self-inflicted trauma that is Rebecca when it comes to these tabloids that she just has on her desk ready to soak in apparently every morning. This is the first episode that just shows that these tabloids aren't something she just picks up on her way to work. They are prepared for her as some kind of ritual self-flagellation. And that's just horrible and absolutely what she doesn't need she needs keely in there telling her to you know laugh about these things rather than just dwell on them yeah i'm gonna go i think that's i think let's let's award it to rebecca i agree with you so train wreck of the episode officially episode three is rebecca i'm gonna throw out an honorable mention here for my boy higgins higgins does not Uh. have a strong episode we start with he's obviously late to work lies about it tries to get away with it by chucking his suitcase as he walks in, walks in which yep. ted immediately brings back to him and says this is what this was in the hallway so he's caught there um mm-hmm. later on in the episode he's waiting at the doorway rebecca calls him out and says like are you, what are you just waiting for me to like were you waiting for me to show that you are here on time so already the the, the tardiness issue is coming up for our boy higgins we have mm-hmm. the issue of of the the pictures uh, between Keeley and Ted potentially coming back to Rebecca and Higgins saying, um, "Well, I'm not a spy," like not doing his job so well, lame. Uh, very poor. And then in the end, he has to deliver the bad news to Rebecca that her master plan to get Ted Krim, the Independent, to write something negative and nasty to start to break apart uh, the relationship that Ted is forming with the community there uh, has failed miserably. So all around. Our boy Higgins has had a bad episode. I would say that Higgins consistently has worse days than almost anybody else on this you know, show. But the reason I rarely pick him for Trainwreck is that we haven't seen him have really good days that much to offset them. He kind of just exists in a certain range of suck, other than certain cake dance moments. Agreed. I would say this is a particularly bad episode, but that's a very good point. So let's give him honorable mention. Rebecca does get Trainwreck of the episode. You ready for some life lessons? I am ready for my life to be added to. Here we go. Ted's life lessons of the episode. If you ever listened to our podcast before, I will tell you, these are only sometimes sarcastic. Most of the time, I try to make them real. Uh, actual life lessons that we get from Ted to leave you in a positive place mentally, just like this show often does. So we'll start with the first life lesson of the episode. Ask for help. Uh, even if the person... Uh, even if the person you are asking help from isn't 100% locked in as your friend, it's okay to ask for help. Ted does this. Good call. Damn good call. That's a wonderful bit of advice to draw from this. Uh, number two, always tell the truth. I know this seems super, super basic, 
You like, worked in politics, my friend. Uh, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I have. But I would say that, like, Ted, you like a, a cynical, like, political mind would say, like, he's doing this on purpose or something. But, like, his, like, strong adherence to the truth actually carries him in a lot of situations. And I think it carries him with Trent cramping dependent. I think because he gets off on immediately on a good foot in a weird way, right? Because, mm-hmm. yes, uh, Nate did design the play that they're working on, right? But think about how Trent cramping dependent would have written that point if it had come out and Ted had tried to hide it. Absolutely. Instead, Ted owns it. He's mm-hmm. completely honest about it. One, it bolsters Nate. He's, he's complimenting somebody who deserves a compliment, who deserves to be like elevated in the organization based on their contributions. And he's also just being a completely honest person to Trent Krim, the independent, in a way that like Trent can't really argue with. He can say, I don't agree with what you're doing, but he can't attack the man. So mm-hmm. always tell the truth. Number three, always respect an invitation. Okay? If somebody gives you an invitation to something, respect <laughs> it. Ted does this with our man, Ollie. Because Ollie, when Ted gets there, he says, hey, I came. You know, you you invited me. Ollie yeah. says, well, I invite everybody who's in my car. He obviously invites everybody, and it's a sort of like nobody ever takes him up on it, right? After Ted's experiences there that day, complimenting their food, asking for a family style, if this was the kind of restaurant where they put people's picture up on the wall, he would be front and center forever after based on this day. So if somebody gives you an invitation, even if you think it might be a throwaway invitation, always respect it. People will respect you more later. Uh, I will wrap it up. Um, with something that we see in spades this episode, especially in the montage at the end that we've talked so positively about. Take the time to get to know people. Eh. It's, har- it's hard. It requires discipline. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's easy to do, right, folks? Like getting to know like people who you have small interactions with, the barista at your local coffee shop or the person you see on your bus ride every day. If you can take a few minutes to get to know that person, um, you'll be given a positive impact on the world like Ted is, and you'll probably have a better day yourself. So there we go. Life Lessons with Ted. It's really apparent that we can really learn a lot by how Ted carries himself. I hope good things for that man that he has no unpleasantness in his life. I think it's unlikely we'll see any of that in later episodes, right? No, everything's going to work out beautifully. I mean, he's got a great family, right? Yeah, great family. He's going to make this team win the entire Premier League. It's going to be wonderful. We'll never hear that word relegation again. Absolutely not. Okay, I think we can say very positive episode. Uh, very good, good half hour of television. We will be back next week. We release these every Tuesday. We will be back next week with episode four of Ted Lasso. And a reminder for everybody who's listening along, this is a recap of a season that debuted a year ago. We know that. We're doing it to prep for season two, which comes out, I believe, July 23rd, something like that, late July. Mm-hmm. And we will be here with you week by week. Apple TV. Apple, Apple Plus does do the thing. God bless them that HBO does. They do not take the Netflix model. They do week-by-week week releases. I, I prefer that so goddamn much. I'm so, so tired of these just dumping episodes. Absolutely. I mean, first off, for, for the business right here, Spencer, for us. Because if they, if they dump it, we basically get one good podcast out of it. But if they do it week-by-week, week, we can follow along with you guys. We can watch along. And that is exactly what we plan to do for Season 2. We will be here with you every Tuesday. Um, to review ep- new episodes of season two. But before we get there, we will continue our coverage of season one. So please join us next week for episode four. Really enjoyed doing this podcast with you, Spencer. Any concluding thoughts before we wrap up? Enjoyed it, man. And I think I may enjoy it even more going forward. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Check us out at mangumtalks.com. Please let us know what you're thinking. We enjoy listener feedback, and we are 
Really, really happy you joined us today. We enjoyed doing this. We'll be back next week with episode four. We'll see you then.